Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz trumpet legend Eddie Henderson on the 2024 documentary Uncommon Genius. This new PBS documentary about the extraordinary life of Edward Eddie Henderson will receive its film world premiere at Smoke Jazz Club in New York City on February 7th, 2024, followed by a live set of music performed by Eddie and pianist George Cables. Then it will be aired on PBS. This groundbreaking documentary offers a portrait of one of jazz's greatest living artists, but two, it unpacks the journey of an American hero who served our nation in the Air Force, overcame racial barriers to become America's first professional black figure skater, and persisted to earn a medical doctorate and practice medicine, all before launching his more than 60-year storied career as a jazz artist with an impressive resume. We cover some great ground. Enjoy this interview. Mr. Henderson. Yes, sir. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. How's everything going today? Wonderful. Looking forward to this interview. Yes, sir. Me too. Well, hey, it's great to catch back up with you. Thank you for taking a minute out for the show today. My pleasure. Honored for being here. So before we get into the documentary on Common Genius, you know, we went through quite a thing over the last three and a half years or so with COVID. And I'm curious, yeah. how did you get through that time period and how has it changed you? Well, uh, to answer the, the first part of the question, uh, you know, it's been a struggle, I think, for everybody around the world getting through that that ordeal of COVID. And it's still going on, you know, with the long COVID. So everybody's persevering. And at this point in time, you know, I came out through the other side of it and I'm doing well and just looking forward to the future. So... Talk to me a little bit about what an honor it is to have the documentary. Oh, boy. Uncommon Genius. How, how did it come about? I'm sure it's been a long time. Come yeah. and talk to me a little bit about the process. Certainly. Well, for first, I mean, like you said, what an honor it is uh, to have that documentary on my life. It's almost like a fairy tale come true. Uh, so, you know, so almost like surrealistic. It's hard to be, you know, when I see the documentary film, you know, I recognize that different aspects and trajectories of my life, you know, the figure skating, being a medical doctor and the jazz musician. It's all like a continuum uh, uh, of my life from the beginning uh, up until the present time. Now, the advent of how it started, a friend of mine, uh, Mark Rabideau, who's the head of the music department in Denver, Colorado uh, University. Uh, he's a good friend of mine, and he knew the, uh, my whole life story. I guess he was kind of enthralled uh, uh, by the uniqueness of it. And so he was more or less the spearhead uh, of making, he already he talked about it for quite some time, about why you ought to write a book. And then when he, when he got the position at University of Colorado, he became friends with Michelle, uh, the producer uh, of the film, Michelle Carpenter, who has won uh, five uh, Emmy Awards for her films. And so she, with his collaboration with her about my life story, she was very impressed. So that's how the advent of the film uh, came to fruition. So you're going to have a premiere on the 7th and you'll be playing afterwards. What what will that mean to actually get to the point where people will see it? You get to perform <laughs> your music. What What's that going to be like? Yeah, well, the, the 7th is a smoke jazz club in New York. 
that's the, the first showing of it in the world. And, and I'm going to uh, first I'm going to have uh, the film, then a Q&A question and answer period after the film. I'm going to be there. And then George Campbell's and I are going to play maybe three short tunes. But the main uh, uh, projection of the evening is the film. I'm just like like uh, an added amendment uh, to the festivities that night. And then after that, I believe uh, it's going to start start being shown on PBS uh, February the 8th. And the next uh, throughout the month of February, I don't have all the dates, uh, but it's during Black History Month. And the next event after that is in San Fr- uh, the San Francisco Bay Area at the Alameda uh, uh, Film Festival. It's going to be shown. That's more or less like the uh, world or the grand premiere of, of the movie. So in this process of making this movie. Yes. What was it like to kind of see your life unfold and to see this the, the, this this very lengthy career get to this point was there anything surprising in this process that you revisited that maybe you didn't quite remember or that just kind of hit you in a way that was uh just surprising you, you know I, i've seen the, the 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 film once so far and you know certainly i recognize each period or trajectory in my life because luckily i had pictures uh, to back up the whole story from the time I was born, uh, the musical heritage of my family, instilling genes, musical genes, and my mother uh, being a dancer at the Cotton Club. My father was in an iconic singing group in the 40s. Uh, um, and uh, just seeing step by step the evolution uh, of me beginning playing the trumpet and my, first, my mother introduced me to Louis Armstrong, who was my very first trumpet teacher uh, in person. Uh, but I was just nine years old at that particular time. And then after that, uh, when I moved to San Francisco with my parents, uh, meeting Miles Davis, and that instilled uh, the inspiration for me to play jazz. And then around that same time, I started figure skating uh, very, very avidly. Uh, because I saw the ice follies and I was super impressed. So it was the figure skating. The first it was the music at nine years old and then started figure skating at age 14, but continued the music studying at San Francisco Conservatory of Music, studying classical music. And then when I met Miles Davis in 1957. That's when the light went on in my being. Well, what we're the spark of jazz hit my musical soul. And then after I met Miles Davis, I, I continued school and went on uh, to become a medical doctor. And um, as time and events went on, you know, I met Herbie Hancock and, and by joining his group, it more or less opened the door uh to where I am right now, because I have not practiced medicine since 1987. I did it for 12 years in San Francisco, but then starting 87, it's been all music up to the present time. 
So you've obviously had such a deep drive in your life to do a, a, a number of different things. What has yeah. this been? What is what has been the internal combustion in you that's made you excel and to be so curious about different disciplines in life? Well, you know, I, I'm glad you used that 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 last word, discipline. I, I think that uh, I've been asked this question many times. How is it that I can have three major things that I that I have done in my life? And my my common answer is always when one learns discipline at an early age, he can do any number of things. But if you don't have discipline at an early age, it's much more difficult to acquire discipline as you get older because there's so many life circumstances and pressures on you, like having a job, paying the rent, and this and that. But when you get discipline at an early age, you can do any number of things. That old adage that the person only does one thing in life is false. You know, and, and of course, since I started music at age nine, that teaches you mathematics, symmetry, organization, and then started figure skating. Uh, and you certainly have to have discipline doing that when you're jumping up in the air, turning around three or four times in the air and the spinning. And, and, and then becoming a doctor, uh, since I had learned discipline at an early age, Going to medical was a piece of cake. <laughs> Walk through the park, <laughs> so to speak. So I'm curious, you know, you've been around masters, you've mentioned miles, and there's so many other legends yeah. and luminaries you've been around. What did you learn from them that you in turn taught younger players that you got around? Yes, because, you know, luckily uh, I teach now at Oberlin Conservatory of Music in, in, in Ohio. I've been doing that for about eight or nine years now, and they just elevated me to professor of jazz trumpet. And to answer your question, what I try to instill younger players, the importance of disciplining yourself. Uh, once you have discipline, it's just like when you learn, and music is a language, uh, just like the English or Russian or Chinese. Once you learn the basic building blocks, of any language, then you can speak. But you have to be disciplined in whatever endeavor one undertakes. And so I try to instill in the importance of disciplining yourself to learn the mechanics of playing the instrument and the, uh, itself, and then learn harmony, counterpoint, and all the other building blocks uh, of improvising. And then you can speak. And, and the beauty of, 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 of improvisation is I can go to China. I can't speak Chinese. I can go to Russia. I can't speak Russian. But through music, I can communicate with the musicians from those particular countries. And so, so that's what I try to instill in my students, the importance. I mean, music is such a beautiful art form. Uh, it's a universal language. And so uh, language is so important in life because then it allows one to communicate with others. The The beautiful thing about the world of jazz, especially the elders, is that there is always this very deep desire and flame to pass this art form on to the younger generations. Yes. And, you, you know, we've gone through this pandemic. You're an elder statesman, a legend. 
what what does it mean for you now to be able to pass on that love to these younger generations that's a and b how strong do you see the youth movement and jazz being in 2024 okay to answer the first part of the question i think it's so important to instill uh the importance of learning from the past because it's almost like a relay race you know you have to be aware of the past in order to realize where you are in the present tense. And so you learn the traditions and the heritage of, of the different music idioms that bring you up to the forefront of the present. It's like passing the baton in a relay race. And what was the second part of the question? Uh, just the strength of the youth in jazz now. You know, we went through a pandemic, we've come out. How strong is the is the youth movement? I think the youth coming up is very strong. Um, and, and like when I'm teaching at Oberlin, I used to teach at Juilliard, and all the students who are accepted to those particular programs, very, very talented. And I try to give them the basic building blocks in the present tense, but also make them aware of where all these buildings and, and the iconic people who first uh, uh, incepted uh, this uh, idiom of music. And, and, but they are very strong and very talented and very studious. And I think the, the health of upcoming musicians, uh, I just want, don't want to say jazz, upcoming present day musicians is very strong. The only thing that I'm concerned about is there's a wealth in many, many music schools around the country and around the world. Only thing I worry about is all these talented musicians put their heart and soul in perfecting their craft. But when they finish school, you know, they're looking when they come out in the real world. I'm concerned about uh, the, um, the avenues through which they can perform their craft, you know, because all this knowledge and creative energy that they have within them uh if they don't have an outlet uh it's kind of anticlimactic but 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 to answer the question the health and wealth of of the upcoming musicians is in good shape so in your career there's obviously going to be periods of of growth that are going to be more than other times was there an album or a particular time period where you had a lot of momentous activity that really made you grow as a musician in a particular absolutely. way? Absolutely. Uh, that, that's an easy question. My first experience of playing uh, back in 1970 to 73 with Herbie Hancock's iconic M1 DC group was the first uh, gig that I had uh, of import and, and people of uh, uh, opportunity to play with people of that stature. And during that period, uh, early 70s, late 60s, early and to, to all throughout the 70s was a very creative period uh, for music itself, create, imp improvised music, creative music. And I think, you know, as time and events on, there's been lulls, you know, uh, waves uh, of inspiration you know, back and forth. Uh, but that period, I, I think, was the most inspirational for me. And that opened the, the door for me to play 
with all my heroes by being with Herbie Hancock, people like McCoy Tyner, Elvin Jones, Dexter Gordon, Joe Henderson, on and on, on and on. All my heroes, I look, lo and behold, I looked up, I'm playing with the, the people I admired so much all my life. It's, you know, I, I take it as a real blessing in my life, almost like that word serendipity. <laughs> So, like I said, a, a fairy tale come true. So the one thing, Eddie, about this documentary is, is that, you know, I, I think about the one done on Wayne Shorter. There was one that was done on Louis Armstrong recently. And I always walk away with these revelatory uh, realizations. I didn't know about the musician. What what are you hoping the viewer gets from you and your legacy and the work that you put into this craft? I see. Uh, I mean, by virtue of, of the film itself. Yeah, what what they're going to see and, and, and just absorbing your career. Yeah, I, I think my hope is that uh, when people see this film, especially younger generations coming up, the possibility, the, the, the fact that I had three major trajectories in my life instilling in young people that that old adage of you can only do one thing in life. Uh, is particularly in, in not true that you uh, uh, it's infinite the number of things one can achieve in life uh you know as uh, but but the, the common denominator or the mode of inspiration to get the to, to fulfill though those the, those things in life is discipline that in order to to bring each trajectory to fruition so the documentary is Uncommon Genius. It will be at Smoke on the 7th and on PBS after that. Anything yeah. else that anybody needs to know out there, the good business? I think that about covers it, to tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. The documentary will speak for itself, and I'm I'm very pleased the way it turned out. I've, like I said, I've seen it once. Have you seen it, uh, by the way, the, the whole documentary? I've seen a preview. I have not seen the whole documentary yet. Okay. I am itching and looking forward to it. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I've followed your career and played you on the show a lot. Mr. No, Henderson, great. this is a profound honor. Thank you, sir, for your time. And you, and have a wonderful time with the premiere. And, and uh, I, I just can't wait to see all the music that continues to come out from you. Thank you, my friend. It's a Thank pleasure you. and an honor you know, being on the show. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds and legends in New York City, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. It was a profound honor to speak with Eddie again on Neon Jazz. Thank you for coming back. If you want to hear more Neon Jazz interviews, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us at YouTube. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.